This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, we tell the little-known story of a Polish patriot who snuck into the camp to try to organize a rebellion and warn the allies of Nazi crimes. And... Freedom 55. For years, there were ads dangling that prospect for the baby boom generation. Now it turns out, for most people, retirement is very different from what they expected. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. While the federal government is still consulting on how to expand access to medical assistance in dying, the Quebec government has announced plans to offer the procedure to people with severe incurable mental illness. Health Minister Danielle McCann says people with mental health issues who are not responding to treatment would be able to ask for MAID. But she stressed such cases would be exceptional, a psychiatrist would have to be consulted, and the delay before medical aid in dying is given would be longer. This week, Ontarians honoured a trailblazer, the Honourable Lincoln Alexander, who served as Canada's first black MP, cabinet minister, lieutenant governor, and was also a member of the RCAF during World War II. The government held Lincoln Alexander Day on January 21st to honour his service and celebrate his life. He was 90 when he died in 2012. We are called to find something in our lives worth fighting for. Actor Martin Sheen joins the growing list of Zoomer celebrities to be arrested as part of Jane Fonda's climate protests. This week, Sheen and fellow actor Joaquin Phoenix were arrested in the U.S. Capitol. Phoenix called out the meat and dairy industries for their role in the climate crisis. I just can't wait to get well and I'll go on the road again. That's what's killing me. I need it, you know. That's my drug today. 71-year-old heavy metal legend Ozzy Osbourne revealing he has Parkinson's disease. The diagnosis came after a fall last year that led Ozzy to cancel several tour dates. Parkinson's is a nervous system disorder that affects movement. Jim Lehrer, the legendary American public television anchorman, has died at the age of 85. For 36 years, he gave PBS viewers an alternative to network evening news programs with in-depth reporting, interviews, and analysis of world and national affairs. He's best known for the McNeil Lehrer Report, which he co-hosted for two decades with Canadian Robert McNeil, who is 89. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. World leaders gathered in Jerusalem this week for Israel's largest ever diplomatic meeting to commemorate the Holocaust. 
Tomorrow marks 75 years since the liberation of the Nazis' most notorious death camp, Auschwitz, where 1.1 million people were killed, the vast majority of them Jews. Before it became ground zero for the final solution, a Polish agent snuck into the camp on a secret mission to destroy it. Author Jack Fairweather came to the studio to tell the little-known story of Witold Pilecki, the volunteer. I was a war correspondent in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I just left the region and was struggling to come to terms with my experiences. I met an old war reporter friend who was on his own journey. He'd been to Auschwitz. He told me about a resistance cell in the camp, and I was completely blown away by that idea. I thought of Auschwitz, I think maybe like a lot of your listeners, as this death factory, place where people went to die. And the idea that anyone could resist in a place like that was incredibly fascinating to me. I knew I had to find out more. And how did you find Witold Pilecki? He actually volunteered to go into the camp. How did that happen? Witold Pilecki was a Polish cavalry officer before the war, gentleman farmer. But for the war, he probably would have lived out his days in eastern Poland, raising crops, working with his local reserve unit. Pilecki, he joins the underground in Warsaw shortly after the German invasion. And it's this brutal, repressive regime that the Nazis impose. There was no plan at that stage for the final solution. Nazis instead were intent on dismantling Poland, their first conquest. Auschwitz was set up in June 1940 in order to be a holding place for Polish nationals, a place where they could be brutalized, center of terror for the country. Little was known about what was happening inside early on. The underground turned to Pilecki, who's working as a recruiter, and said to him, would you volunteer for a mission to Auschwitz? Okay, and he said yes. Now, how did he get himself into Auschwitz? Right, well, he said yes. He said yes. He didn't sort of raise his hand, as perhaps um, volunteering suggests. He had to have a long think about it. He thought the idea was crazy. Um, he had a wife and kids. That was some of the reasons why I was drawn to his story um, coming out of Iraq. Um, I identified with this man who had a, a lot to lose. Um, but Pilecki, he also realized that Poland was losing the war. This was 1940. Only Britain still stood on continental Europe. The Americans weren't in the war yet. This was his chance to make a difference. So he volunteered. That meant he had to get himself arrested. He walked into a German roundup and got sent to the camp. And what did he do when he got there? The camp was not the death factory we know it today. It was a concentration camp for Polish nationals. It was a place of incredible brutality. Um, prisoners were on starvation rations, forced to do hard labor. Pilecki was beaten, bruised, shaved, stripped of his identity, and was in shock for his first few days. And for me, that's really one of these amazing moments in his story when he begins, despite those hardships, to reach out to the men around him, suffering like him, and says to them, would you help me start fighting back and against the Germans? And when was this? This was in September 1940. And uh -huh. um, he soon began to form a cell, um, a cell that expanded and grew. By 1942, two years into his time in the camp, 
He had over a thousand men working for him in Auschwitz. They were sabotaging facilities, assassinating SS officers, and of course, reporting on what was happening in the camp, stealing Nazi documents, copying them, smuggling out to the camp, getting word to the Allies about what was happening. He starts in Auschwitz when it's a place for the brutalization of Polish political prisoners. Over the course of two years, Auschwitz is a crucial testing ground for the Nazis as they work out the logic, the technological capacity to mass murder. That's what he witnesses, first of all, of his fellow Polish prisoners, start of euthanization experiments. Then Soviet POWs arrive and they begin gassing them in experimental chambers. And then, of course, the final solution begins. And Jewish families from all over Europe are brought to Auschwitz. And that's what Paletsky reports on in 1942. He organizes an incredible breakout from Auschwitz to get word to the Allies about the Holocaust. It's, it's really one of the most spectacular of stories. Four of his men steal German officer uniforms and then take Commandant Hearst's car and drive out of the main gate carrying news of the Holocaust. And... He uh, wanted the Allies to bomb it. He said, even if we all die, it would be worth it. That was one of the most amazing parts of the research for me. He said, please, for the love of God, bomb this camp, even if it means killing everyone in it. Because what's happening here is so terrible, we have to stop it. And that was in October 1940. And for me, that's one of the great might-have-beens of history. What would have happened had the Allies heeded his call to bomb the camp in 1940. What do you think the significance of this story is 75 years after the liberation? I think his story is so important. For me, Paletsky is one of the greatest heroes of World War II. What he did in Auschwitz was of a level of bravery that's almost inconceivable. Every day he was in that camp, he risked his life to try and tell us about what was happening. What happened to him in the end? Well, this is the second tragedy of Paletsky's life. The first being, of course, that the Allies didn't heed his message from the camp. The second one was this. In 1945, he took up arms against the communist takeover of Poland. It fell under the yoke of Stalin. And Paletsky, like a lot of Poles, had this terrible choice. Do you surrender to communism or do you carry on fighting? And that's what he did. He created a cell in Warsaw to report on communist crimes against the Polish people. He was captured. He was interrogated, tortured brutally and put on a show trial. And this is the reason why you haven't heard of his story. The communists, after killing him, hid away or destroyed all of his wartime reports. It was a, a really touching part in the research, you know, speaking to Paletsky's son, Andre, in his mid-80s, um, you know, him telling me that up until the early 90s, they simply didn't know what their dad had done in Auschwitz. What do you think the resonance will be? I mean, all the surveys show that, you know, a majority of young people in North America don't know what the Holocaust was, don't know what Auschwitz was. There's a, a terrifying rise in anti-Semitism at the moment. I, I agree, and I think it is every generation's responsibility to find 
new ways to engage with the Holocaust. I was really struck researching this book. I got to speak to a lot of survivors in their 80s, in some cases their 90s, men and women who had known Paletsky, fought with him in some extraordinary cases. And you, even in the last five years of research, half of those people have died. And, you know, I felt a great responsibility in writing the book that I wanted to transmit their memories. I hope Paletsky's story can be a way for people to come afresh to the camp. It's a, it's a new story. It's a new way of thinking about Auschwitz. And, um, you know, I really encourage people to, uh, to learn more about Paletsky. Jack Fairweather, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Jack Fairweather, author of The Volunteer. Monday marks the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. If you're a baby boomer, your idea of how retirement would unfold may have been shaped by years of ads like this. Imagine visiting yourself in the future. Well, look who's here. I know you. Sure do. I'm you 25 years later. (laughs) What am I doing here? We spend our winters here. But most Canadians are finding the reality of retirement is not as advertised. I delved into a new survey with Sean Simpson of Ipsos Public Affairs. We conducted this poll of uh, 1,800 Canadians who are either uh, pre-retired or uh, having recently been retired. And so we're able to compare the expectations of pre-retirees against what those who are retired say is actually the case. Do you think that part of the gap between expectations and reality are partly because of this romanticized idea many of us have of retirement? Yeah, I, I think I think that's certainly part of it. I mean, we we see a lot of um, advertisements that are are geared to to boomers, either those people who are uh, retiring soon or have recently retired, and it's all about uh, you know sipping wine on your terrace overlooking you know the, the ocean or a lake at your summer home or traveling the world or golfing every day and and uh, everybody's you know in in, in pristine health. But uh, of course, we know uh, you know just. just just from our friends and family, that uh, in many cases, uh, that's not what the retirement years look like. Uh, And so that's why we conducted the poll, to see, you know, how different expectations are from the reality of the situation. Dealing with the first, the first issue uh, is that most people thought that they would know at least a year in advance when the date of the retirement would be, but in fact, only a minority uh, actually knew when they were going to retire. So what was the reason for that? Yeah, and, and you know, that, that seems to be a reasonable ex- expectation that you would know when you're going to retire and and, uh, and when you're going to set the date of retirement. But um, in fact, uh, only 39% of retired Canadians said that they knew at least uh, a year in advance. And uh, almost two in 10 said they had no advance uh, notice at all. And so there, there are two, uh, you know, underlying reasons why that might be the case for so many retirees. One is that they've just you know been been let go uh, by the company without uh, any uh, any notice um but the other uh, is um 
Uh, also a difficult decision, but uh, one's uh, own health might uh, might prevent them from um, uh, you know having having foresight into when that date might be. Uh, if you've got a diagnosis, uh, you might decide to um, uh, you know to put away the shingle and and uh, and, and retire uh, pretty well on the spot. It's interesting, you know, even retirees who uh, left voluntarily, uh, maybe they've had enough of their particular job. I know quite a few people where in in the initial period, they are relieved to be whatever, out of whatever situation they wanted to get out of. But then there's kind of a second phase where people get bored mm-hmm. or they get upset because suddenly their phone calls aren't returned. Yeah, and, and I think that's why we see as with a lot of uh, retirees uh, particularly those uh, you know who, who who like to stay active and busy with their hands may go out and get a job at Home Depot, for example, because they can use some of their skills and their experience uh, helping others in a, in a job that doesn't seem like work because it's it's a uh, it's a hobby to them. And I think we're seeing you know more and more of that, particularly as there are um, general shortages in, with, with labor in Canada. We're pretty well at uh, at full capacity with a low unemployment rate, um, and so um, when that's the case, we need to expand the workforce. And the one way to do that is to keep people working uh, longer longer in life. Uh, hopefully, they're doing that because they want to and not because they have to. Although uh, a good chunk, 43% of those who intend to work in retirement say it's for financial reasons. Yeah, and people are working longer. Working longer and living longer and, you know, we know the government has been trying to manage its finances by, uh, you know, moving the date uh, for collection of CPP OAS to 67 years old uh, instead of 65. But, of course, that uh, caused uh, a lot of a lot of uproar. It's been been reversed. But the trend is that people are working longer simply because they're living longer and, and they're going to have to pay for that somehow. Sean Simpson, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. That was Sean Simpson of Ipsos Public Affairs. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.